I think we're finally recording. Well, how's it look? How's it looking on the ones and twos over there? On the ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm so far from being a professional <laughs> that it took me, let's be nice to me and say 10 minutes just mm. to get the recording up, even though I've done it. Now this is my <laughs> eighth time. <laughs> and meanwhile, my main job is to be the drinker of beer yes. and the bloviating of <laughs> information. And you're always like, so you got that up yet? Or? <laughs> Welcome, ladies, germs, people of all genders, to Ah Real Films, a podcast about horror movies. And to our new listeners, say hello uh, to my co-host, Taylor the Terrifier. And my name is Cutthroat Curtis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To our new listeners who may be listening to us for the first time, we are indeed a podcast about horror films. To our new listeners, uh, each week we pick a different topic. Uh, Last week we had... Creepy kids. So each week we pick a different topic, (laughs) uh, such as creepy kids, which Uh was our last week's uh, topic, and discuss a film each of that topic that we're interested in or that we think kind of encapsulates that theme really well. And at the end of the podcast, we usually talk about some of the horror films we've been watching to give people recommendations. And this week, uh, I got to choose the theme. I was very excited for this one because I'm a big fan of slasher, love slasher films. I would say. Well, I have to admit, one of the reasons I do love slasher films more recently is because my girlfriend of now three years is incredibly terrified of horror films. But for some (laughs) reason, the only films that she can really watch, despite being incredibly afraid of a man just walking to our house one night and killing all of us is slasher films so i've watched a ton of slasher yeah, films over the past years I understand and that. um justin says that now that uh the only horror films that he is not very scared by are vampire films that's what he wow. just told me today so that kind of sucks maybe we can watch twilight with him we can watch twilight or we could just watch 30 days of night over and over, over and over, and over. Yeah. <laughs> well today actually our topic isn't just slasher films because obviously you know we could have like a 20-part series on slasher films. There are so many classic slasher films. Our topic is actually slasher films that don't have sequels. Can I tell you the snappy title I came up for? for oh, this please. Episode? I can't wait. Slasher sans sequel. Sans means without in French. Oh, my God. We That's are... really cool, We it? just lost all of our subscribers <laughs> right now. I'm sorry. I thought it was cool. <laughs> They're like, what is sans? No, like I, comic sans? Folks, we respect you so much. We think you're a very intelligent audience. We've gotten so much great feedback on this podcast. Thank you very much. That is a very intelligent and title, and I think it meets the expectations of our listeners. <laughs> We are, I wanted to get one quick note out of the way uh, before we jumped into our movies as we usually start off with. We're recording this on Thanksgiving. Thanks- our happy Thanksgiving! Happy late, excuse you, Taylor. Happy late Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> but we are recording this today in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. In Duval! Duval, Mitch. <laughs> And we are recording this in our grandma's attic. What do you call this? This is a loft. Loft. Yeah. Again, this is like sands, loft. We're just, we're up here, folks. We're in the upper echelon. (laughs) And uh, the reason I wanted to mention that is because we are drinking, uh, we usually, I don't know if we ever mentioned this, but we are usually drinking sometimes heavily when we are recording (laughs) this podcast. And today we are drinking a delicious beer that is entitled Duval Till We Die. It is a black lager with a hint of lime. It is, you guys, it's like Bud Light Lime, but like a black lager instead of... When you, it's like, it's like Bud Light lime, lime, just not better. for white trash. Yeah. <laughs> I 
can't so, help that I'm white trash, Curtis. Okay. And do you recall the name of the brewery? Because I think we already threw away the can. Uh, but it is but located on a, Bay Meadows. It's located and, on Bay Meadows. Um, it's overlooking the water. And so, sorry, we couldn't. Uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, but, put it in the show yeah. notes. Duval County, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, great for beer, and we mm. definitely wanted to feature some uh, Duval beer, so we'll put the name of the brewery Duval in the beer show. Duval for all of our Duval bitch. <laughs> yes. So. We are Duval till we die, so we thought it was very, very appropriate. Um, but anyway, with all of that um, said, I feel like I've been bloviating for the past well, five just, minutes or well, so. Do you have anything to, to say bring before it back we begin? To the topic, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, I think you... We're smart to choose slashers without sequels, just because so many slashers have sequels that I think it would turn more into a franchise episode, when really what we wanted to focus on were the different nuances of slasher films. So mm-hmm. part of the reason also why we chose to feature slasher films that don't have sequels is to focus on the slasher genre itself, rather than, mm-hmm. and then this sequel does this, and yeah. then this sequel does that. It's, that's kind of not the well, conversation we wanted to have, so... One of the cool pieces of feedback that I've gotten in our short run from our many, many, possibly dozen fans at this point (laughs) is that a lot of people have come back to me and uh, been really thankful for some of the recommendations that we've given. And I thought... That I've given. More specifically that you have given (laughs) more so, but uh, I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about more unknown films. Exactly, yeah. And um, hopefully have people, you know go out and check out something new. Uh, both of our films are foreign films as well. So, oh, uh, that's right. Technically, mine does not have subtitles. Mine is dubbed. Um, yours is yours does have subtitles. Uh-huh. But um, anyway, let's let's hop yeah. into it. My film is Michel Sauvage's 1987 slasher Stage Fright. Oh. This film was, again, it was um, made in 1987. The director, Michel Sauvage, this was his feature debut. He was formerly a co-director on films by most famously Dario Argento. He was second director on Tenebre Phenomena. He was also co-director for Joe D'Amato, Lamberto Bava on his film Demons, which is another great classic Italian film. Um, But Stage Fright itself um, was his directorial debut, and um, it stars, let me see here, uh, David Brandon, Barbara Capuzzi, Giovanni Lamberto Radice, Radice, um, among other Italian actors, is an Italian. Say, you just don't want to keep on listing off Italian. Actors. I could go on <laughs> forever and ever. I I will say I do the actors and actresses in this film appear in a lot of other. I recognize them from other, oh. you know, late seventies, eighties era Italian films. I mean, they're I, I've seen these faces. So they're well known actors. I, they're or in the genre. In the genre, yeah. at least, yeah. And I actually I want to talk about a little bit about Michelle Sovai because I think when people. This is going to sound a little bit pretentious because I feel like perhaps uh, it's a very small segment of the horror population that really enjoys these Italian films. I like uh, Lucio Fulci. We talked about yeah. the beyond uh, Dario Argento, who, you know, his most famous film is Suspiria. I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with Dario Argento. Michel Sauvage is very overlooked. I feel like Stage Fright's a great film, but I, um, I would highly suggest people out check out his film Cemetery Man from 1992. I think that is a like stone cold classic. Great year. 1992, uh, the year of someone's birth. Uh, <laughs> it's just a wonderful year. Um, but he also made a film called The Church, which is kind of like a siege movie that's really, really fun. And he actually also was the uh, assistant director on the 2005 film uh, The Brothers Grimm, which was a big uh, hit. Do you remember that movie? I remember it. I don't remember seeing it. Yeah. Who was I would, in that? 
Matt Damon, I think. Uh, I, I don't. I don't recall. Matt Damon. But anyway, I, that's that is a total guess. And please feel free. Uh, we can put it in the corrections corner if you want to email us at arealfilms at gmail and correct me. I'd be happy to put you on the podcast and correct myself. But anyway, back to stage fright. Uh, I just wanted to put out a little PSA for Michelle Sova. I think he's a great horror, an underrated horror director who's making. Uh, great horror films as the Italian film industry was kind of tanking. So I think that's why he's overlooked. Stage Fright itself, um, the general plot of this film is that there is a play that is being staged. And actually the first scene of the film, you're kind of confused about what's going on. And there's a lot of action happening. And they're practicing this play about a serial killer going around town and killing people. And the serial killer has, you know, like an eagle's head and you're thinking like man are they showing this really quick and then the director goes cut 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 and you know you realize you're watching um practice of a i don't know if it was a musical or some yeah a lot of dance in it yeah anyway shortly thereafter one of the stars uh the main character in the film played by barbara Kupuzzi. I hope I get that name correct. I like that last name a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Sherry Papini. I think I really just like saying Please it a lot. Please don't get me started on Sherry oh. Papini. I love that Sherry Papini story. I love story. That's a total Sherry story. Papini. <laughs> but anyway, um, Barbara Kapuzzi plays uh, the character Alicia, who um, is you know our main character in the film. Do, well, at some point while doing this dance, she sprains her ankle, goes to the doctor, and when they go to the hospital, the doctor mentions, oh, we have this crazy serial killer in here and she looks in the room he's looking all crazy there's a lot of blue light in there and then they head back to i'm gonna have some minor spoilers here alicia and her friend are going to the hospital they come back to the rehearsal Uh and as it turns out the serial killer is in the car with them in one of the scariest parts of the film and i i want to interject because mm -hmm. if you've read scary stories to tell in the dark which is the series of books Mm -hmm. made or sorry yeah series of books of like short stories made for children the scariest story in all of those, which none totally of them are that agree. scary, but the scariest one is the one where the guy is in the back. Totally, of the totally. Agree. And it's the reason I read that book when I was eight. And ever since I've started driving, I always look in the back seat before. There's also a part in Halloween where Michael Myers is in the back seat and he grabs the girl like sitting in the car too. I just love that scene. Yeah. So that's um, a really, I, I like that because it, yeah, it was a really kind of classic horror mm-hmm. callback, I feel like. And I think I'll probably touch on that a little bit yeah. more. Um, but Basically, the setup of the movie, you know, the killer's in the car, and um, he actually takes his signature is that he has the bird head that the killer in the play has. So mm-hmm. he's stalking and killing individuals in this movie in this giant bird head, which is really bizarre. I was thinking um, as I was watching this movie, because you get a lot of POV shots, like, man, that thing must be really bulky. Yeah, right? and everybody knows who he is. It's not like he's hiding his identity or anything. So, but so. here's the thing, though. Uh, it works too because obviously when you fir- when you are an actor and you first see it, all the other actors think it's just the guy mm-hmm. in the play who's supposed Bob. to be wearing yeah, yeah Bob the, the, the um the the gay man who plays the killer and he's has some of the best lines oh, yeah, in the he's film. Really he's, he's hilarious, <laughs> but yeah they they think it's Bob that's uh, killing and then. Spoiler alert, Bob shows up dead eventually as well. <laughs> uh, so um, that's sort of when they start to realize something is amiss here now. Uh, one great thing about this film is I think it's very watchable. If you're a fan of Dario Argento, that style, there's a lot of like yeah. blue, like bright blue and bright. It's more like muted uh, than like Suspiria, for example, because that's the most extra film of all time <laughs> in terms of that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of really cool shots. The filmmaking's really, really well done. He obviously learned from some of the best. Yeah. 
Um, and I will say to build off of that, not just the cinematography, but the costumes and the makeup are all very yeah. bright. We were commenting on that one woman. I called her Violet Beauregard because she had like a lot of blue on. She looked kind of like a blueberry. Yeah. She had on a big blue dress yeah. and like blue eyeshadow. But it was cool because. And bright red hair too. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was the 80s. So I think everything was like, like with the big hair and all the makeup and stuff, that wasn't unusual. But I like how he tied the lights and everything into mm. that. Yeah. It's a visually striking. Well, and film. I think the light. The cool thing about this movie is the light directs your eye away from, you know, what's happening in the background because your eye is directed towards these bright colors. And oftentimes, you know, you're kind of surprised when the killer is in the screen. The the whole the, the technical aspects of this film are really cool. But what really interests me in this film, you know, I was talking about it while we were watching this time and you couldn't really tell if I was joking or not, <laughs> I think. But this film and I, I'm a huge fan of Scream. Obviously, we talked about it on this podcast. That was my pick for favorite halloween film this movie reminded me a lot of scream because if you this move this film came out in 1987 at the end of like the slasher boom you had you know halloween all its sequels friday the 13th all its sequels uh nightmare on elm street all of its sequels you had you know random ass movies like silent night deadly night every holiday is turned into a slasher film yeah and i thought that this film was very very consciously kind of taking a jab at that kind of stuff and this film came out almost 10 years before scream um, so it's not like a Scream copycat or anything like that. It's not as obvious as Scream. Like Scream, you know, obviously is a very tongue-in-cheek movie, a comedic movie to a certain extent. This film is very, very serious in tone. There's no comedy really except for the character Bob who's, you know, makes a few funny comments And to the director friends. who's like fucked up on coke the whole yeah, time. Yeah, the director I think he is... might be inadvertently like – that I'm sorry, just... the director in the film, not the director of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, director in, the director of the play in, in the, the film. film is but the one that was on coke. <laughs> I think the fact that we're talking about a play, that's sort of the basis. That's why all these people here are a play. A play with a serial killer, and all this stuff is being played out on a stage, and then they're like, okay, we let's take a break and stuff. And then all of a sudden, they're confronted with a real serial killer. It's all very meta. And I think that's really, really interesting because I think it's kind of commentary on, and again, you know, I know this sounds very, very high-minded, but it's stuff that we don't think about when we watch horror films. Like, we're watching these gruesome, horrible deaths, and it's not, like, you know, it's all fun and games until this stuff, like, actually affects mm -hmm. us in our real life. And that's, especially with the fact that the killer takes the head of, like, the very same, like, costume, basically, that the killer in the play is wearing yeah. all brings it kind of to reality and i think this film does a really good job of kind of making people confront the reality of what they are performing in and you know as us as a viewer it makes us think oh we're watching a film too but what if this happened to us it would be horrifying so i think it's a interesting commentary but it also makes it i mean just on a basic level even if you're not thinking you know if even you're just sitting down to watch a fun horror movie it makes it scarier that way because yeah. they have to be confronted with this like thing that they've just been acting out up to that point you know i think there's an interesting part of this also is the pov shot which is like at this point was so played out in slasher films ever and since that horrible pov shot from halloween 1978 by oh the way my God. <laughs> it's so bad it's like how tall is michael i know well look <laughs> anyway. they were they were they were being innovative at that point but i feel like you know from that point forward yeah the yeah. pov shot was just so played out. But in this film, the POV shot, again, this guy's wearing a giant head. And you see the POV shot, you're barely getting any little slits of light through this this giant, right. giant head. 
And I just thought that was really, really funny because it's like, oh, we're going to do a POV shot too. We're a slasher film. And then you get inside there and you don't see anything. I kind of liked that, to be honest <laughs> with you, though. I mean, I, I liked it because I really felt like that created a barrier between the killer and, mm-hmm. you know, who he was killing. And I think a lot of great slasher films, obviously, uh, you know, Michael Myers and, and Jason, I would say, would be like another one. Mm-hmm. The killer is like very removed from who they're killing and you don't know a lot about them. And um, I think that added an interesting literal physical barrier between the killer and the people that he was killing as well. Yeah. And I also think, to be honest with you, just masks and costumes of that kind are just really classic in slasher films, mm-hmm. too. And I think that was like an interesting twist on it. This guy looks really cool. I mean, yeah. like his, his it's a pretty classic horror design. Yeah. And I'm surprised it's not even more iconic. because I mean, You know, it may be the case that people who are listening to this now that go to watch this film be like, oh, I've seen that before you know i it's such an iconic look for something that is not by definition iconic because nobody really knows about yeah. this film but um well and i i kind of wanted to go back to something you said earlier too about how the light kind of draws your eyes away most people obviously when they see a play they are seeing a play that is intended to be lit for them the audience not but, just like this is a this play is lit but like yeah lit up with light correct yes. that's a good joke right <laughs> <laughs> um Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> but what this play does is you see the light from the point of view of the actor and you can tell like from that point of view how surreal it is for the actors and for the people on stage themselves how unnatural that lighting is and I liked how the unnaturalness of that lighting and the point of view that we were given kind of from the stage looking out played into the performative nature of the killings themselves and yeah. I thought I really liked I really liked all of the perspectives that the lighting kind of gave you in that way. Yeah. yeah. There's this, there's just a very, I think overall, a very meta aspect to this film. And I think this kind of has played out um, in some of his future films. The Cemetery Man is very like, I don't want to say contemplative, but like, because it's not like an intelligent, it's not like an art mil- film or anything like that, but it is very like, it's a zombie film, but it's like contemplative on that and like self-aware that it's a zombie film and i think stage fright was kind of like his first play with that a little bit Mm -hmm. and um there's a lot of aspects of this film that from the technical aspects of the film like you talked about lighting how it kind of disarms you a little bit Mm -hmm. and kind of makes you consider performative aspect of the lighting um i also thought kind of we can sound like don't know what we sound like we're talking about like you know a slasher film and like oh just he's so he's making a commentary okay people are gonna think think we're pretentious so let's just drop that no now. but i we just, don't care if we're being pretentious i just okay? want to say um it's not all in our heads because um when this film was debuted at um i want to say i didn't write it down in my notes but i think it was in naples a naples film festival naples florida uh yes Na- southwest naples not <laughs> not naples italy where he's from naples florida yes of course um no uh when this film debuted there's a um, scene at the end of the film where a bunch of feathers are dropped from the sky oh, yeah. and it creates like kind of like a snow kind of scene. But at that screening, he dropped feathers from the sky onto the audience. I get, apparently the audience was actually pretty pissed. I read that on IMDb <laughs> that a lot of the audience members were like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, feathers. But I, I mean, I think that kind of like tips his hand that like he's trying to make the point like that sometimes this stuff does this play bleeds off into their reality. And I think you know, I think he does a good job. He doesn't, it, it, you know, less, it's Scream is, again, more of, like, an obvious, like, fun, tongue-in-cheek. I think he does a really good job mm-hmm. of, like, a subtle 
making this subtle point while also making a serious and scary film. You know, that, I guess that's that's all I have to say about this film. I think it's just a very great, it's a great debut film for, yeah. you know, for a really talented director. It looks beautiful. It's uh, fun, but also scary and well, serious. Well, I was about to say, too, I mean, so. for, for people who are familiar with Suspiria and are a little wary of us maybe bringing up Suspiria a lot in this conversation, I will say what I thought was... A, I love Suspiria, oh. don't get me wrong. I mean, that's a top 10 horror film for me. Oh, me too. It's and very the, much up my alley. The quality of this film is not... Well, that's actually not... That, I was actually going to go in the opposite direction of that comment. I think Suspiria, biggest complaint for a lot of people is that it really lacks plot. Um, oh, you know, they you. say it's yeah, not yeah. about something. And if so, if that's not your thing, if you're like, hmm, I saw Suspiria, I wasn't really that impressed. This film, I will say, has a really tight plot. Like, yeah, it, it really clips along at a great pace. Um, the kills are like inventive. Some of the, and yeah, some gory. of the kills I've never seen before yeah. since then. They're really um, good. There were legitimately funny parts. I don't know if they were intended to be funny. We were commenting on the director of the play in the film who was really high on coke. He was running around. First of all, the catwalk above like a stage. <laughs> It's just very, like, it's a, not a safe place to be. And when people are up there, they're usually acting, like, really carefully. This guy was running around up there so fast. I told Chris, I was like, he would fall. Like, he would he was, fall. Not only was he running, yeah. but he was Naruto running yeah, with his hands behind his, his back. <laughs> We're like, damn, he's really booking it. He wants to get after this killer. Yeah, so, he. I mean, I don't know if that was supposed to be funny, but it was funny. And but and I will also say, too, I really liked the relationships, the the brief glimpses you got at the relationships between these actors i think um again as someone who just does community theater brag <laughs> uh, as someone who does community theater in <laughs> northwest florida i know you're jealous um uh how quickly and like deeply you bond with your castmates i i think it i like their close-knit like relationships that they have yeah, yeah and it makes you care about them when they die you exactly know? i mean that's always the biggest complaint about slasher films is that you don't give a shit about these mm-hmm. little teenage shits that get it you know it's just they're In fact, just you, a lot of times you kind of cheer when they yeah die. exactly and this film doesn't make that mistake and i think um part of the reason is is that you know first off you know this guy is like a brutal serial killer you know the guy's identity generally um but also again like you said you care about the characters you grow to like them they have relationships with one another what what, what happened there with, <laughs> they have relationships with one another yeah the duval till we die beer is really just settling it's in right literally now. only five percent <laughs> okay i will say let me just we're, we're recording this on thanksgiving i've had about three hangovers today <laughs> so or in at least the past 24 hours so anyway um you really care about all these characters in the film and you really um Get, there's a lot of sense of satisfaction in this film and um yeah no that's that's stage fright again it's um to me in terms of slashers uh without sequels our our topic if we're not talking this is an italian film so there are like pre-halloween slasher mystery type italian films they're called giallo films giallo, yeah yeah correct so i'm uh mario bava was a director who was big in those he made the bay of blood which really really influenced um friday the 13th Dario Argento made Giallo before he made Suspiria. A really great one is Deep Red, which is the film that came out before Suspiria. And there's a lot of really great Italian, you know, standalone slasher mystery films. This is not that type of thing. This is a straight slasher film. You know who the killer is. And I think in terms of a slasher, uh, without a sequel, this is probably my favorite, personal favorite. And I would, you know, if we're not 
counting the giallos again. Yeah, I would highly recommend it to people. And I, it's, it's, I think it's a very underrated film. And for all our Zodiac lovers out there, the alternate title to this film is Aquarius. So there you go. Well, that's funny that you say that, that Stage Right was your favorite slasher that doesn't have a sequel. Because when you suggested this topic, I had like a mini panic attack. I texted you about three films that I wanted to do, and each time you were like, that has a sequel. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I know. I'm going to do Prom Night. And you're like, that has like a lot of sequels. <laughs> that, ha- that literally has like five sequels. And you also suggested Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, which I think a sequel came out like eight months later to that one, like the next Christmas. So, <laughs> I mean, the struggle is very real. So I started- it's, This is more my wheelhouse, yeah, I Yeah. First of all, I'm not a huge slasher i mean i like things related to slasher um like home invasion movies i think would it's kind of like a subgenre of slashers that i'm pretty into but i figured in the future we would do a home invasion episode so i didn't want to do that so anyway this is my shame spiral basically um and so i decided i was like let me pick something just totally new to me and so i started looking into slashers from different countries so i was googling like Insert country name slasher. And I did that until I found this film. It's a uh, Japanese slasher called The Guard from Underground. It's a 1992 Japanese horror film directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa and is one of Kurosawa's earliest films. The film stars Hetsunori Hasegawa, Makiko Kuno, and Ren Osugi. The Guard from Underground, interestingly, um, is a homage type of film by Kurosawa to the gruesome horror films of the 1980s and is a tense tale of a woman trapped and forced to battle a security guard. So, Makiko Kuno plays Akiko, who has just begun her new job at Department 12 of the Akibono Corporation. Uh, She's assisting a new endeavor to purchase and resell artwork, um, which is not, it's not really explained. It kind of seems a little bit like a shady job. I'm always kind of like, is this a front? Like, (laughs) I I really, I honestly don't understand her job. (laughs) But that's kind of like, when I Googled it, by the way, not a lot of information when you Google it. So I was kind of no. like, shit, what am I going to do? Yeah. That is a little it. surprising because um, Kurosawa is not Akira Kurosawa, uh, <laughs> the but the less famous Kurosawa. He's, you know, he directed some pretty famous films. Cure, Pulse are both right. like Japanese horror classics. Well, so they, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think maybe because this is such an early film, it's not a very well-known film. And honestly, to be honest with you, it's not like a highly regarded film. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting film for the genre, but that's probably why. But uh, anyway, so Akiko, uh, she starts to kind of feel uneasy in this new job because her boss is really short-tempered and her coworkers are kind of just like, they're kind of stupid, to be honest with you. I mean, they're just like, they don't really help help her too much and so she's like trying to adapt to this new position um her co-workers start gossiping about this new security guard who is played by yarusuko matsushiki who is they describe as a giant um and is a former sumo wrestler so and at the same time we're privy to all these news reports through the radio and through tv of a former sumo wrestler who was just released from prison after a spate of murder so you're kind of like I mean, it's very obvious, (laughs) but it's kind of, you know, so, so basically a lot of the film is more of the speculation Mm -hmm. of like, so it's kind of like a mystery. Yeah. So like, what's up with this security guard? He's really weird. Um, and then obviously like he starts killing people. That's the slasher part of it. Shit goes down. Shit does uh, go down. So, um, in talking about this film, I know this is like a slasher episode, I'm going to get to kind of the more slasher talking points, but I had some other stuff that I wanted to go over. Uh, Let's hear first. it. I have a lot of notes here. Oh, yeah. Folks, she is like 
we talked last episode of how you're like, oh, I don't have any notes. She is loaded to the gills <laughs> with notes today. Well, I'm just really interested in, honestly, just like in Japanese horror in general. So yeah. I wanted to go and find out more information about Japanese horror. Which, okay. So I got all this information from A Brief History of Japanese Horror from Rikomo, Rikumo Journal in a guest post by Rob Busher. So uh, he gave a very brief, like super brief history of Japanese horror. It's rooted in folk tales. It got a relatively late start in the 1960s and started coming into its own in the 1990s, uh, which is when this film came out, The Guard from Underground. In the late 1990s, Japanese horror became known colloquially as J-horror, a term that was coined by British distribution label Tartan Video. Kiyoshi Kurosawa emerged from this J-horror era as a force to be reckoned with. His style is blending psychological horror with contemporary social in- issues in his films, such as Pulse, which you just yeah. mentioned. So I had kind of a talking point I wanted to talk to you about this. So what do we think about horror from a certain country, which is honestly most often to me just particularly from Japan and Korea being thrown under the same umbrella of J-horror or K-horror? Because for me, I don't find it a helpful distinction unless we're talking about how these films tie into a nation-specific cultural, social, or political trends. But no one seems to deem films like American horror or British horror. And in the same way, so are we drawing an arbitrary distinction where none exists? For instance, a film like Audition by Takashi Miike would fall under the same J-horror label as The Guard from Underground's. Even though there's no similarity between them, except no. for that they're both Japanese. So why, like, we don't say this film by an American horror director and this other film by a di- horror or something. It's just yeah. a horror, yeah. you know. I think it's a little silly, and part of the reason I think that is because, especially with a director like Kurosawa, you know, you're talking about a film like Guard from the Underground or Pulse that is informed by like contemporary Japanese social issues that we are not privy to. So the one thing that would kind of we don't live in Japanese society and we're not like, that's not our day-to-day lives. We're not experiencing like Japanese social issues. We're not a part of that culture. So the one tie that would maybe tie these movies together, um, you know, the, the Japanese-ness of these films, we're not as American audiences really not mm-hmm. privy to, unless we do a research into an individual film, like audition, for example, is like sort of a commentary on gender relations in Japanese society, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't have known unless I read about, you know, an article about gender relations in Japanese society. So calling something J-horror, especially because this was coined by the Tartan, you know, executives or yeah. something, what do, what do they know about Japanese well, society? That, I, you ca- know? I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. To me, it's just like, it seems really misinformed because as anybody in any country knows, like not every person in that country necessarily even shares like this no. same kind of cultural mentality and i thought kind of the only honestly very utilitarian way i would use j-horror is literally just like hey this film is going to be in japanese yeah you know so it's helpful to be I, like this is a foreign film so you're going to be watching it with subtitles i will say is- when i was when i was first really getting into horror films when i was a teenager you know like 10 years ago everybody knew like it was common knowledge to me that Japanese horror films were the scariest. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, true. I think that's true. You know, at the time that this term was coined, like late nineties, early two thousands, that was kind of like American horror's preoccupation with films like saw, like the sort of quote unquote torture porn films, which I'm a fan of. I love saw. I like hostel. I like films from the two thousands, but let's be honest. I mean, it was a pretty barren time for horror. I mean, we're really recovering big time in the 2010s, but mm-hmm. 2000s were a very barren time for American horror. And, you know, if you wanted to watch a really scary film, 
you'd look at Korea, you'd look at France, you'd look at Japan. Those are where the films where you knew they were going to be really scary. So for me, I will say as like kind of a budding horror fan, the J-horror title was useful because I could be like, oh, a Japanese horror film. This is probably going to scare the shit out of me. But like, mm-hmm. again, you know, as a device in which to label a film, I don't know anything about Japanese culture. So you telling me a film is a Japanese horror movie i'm just like okay it has a japanese director like that's well, kind how of is all... that supposed to be helpful for yeah me? exactly because yeah, exactly. it could be supernatural it could be a slasher it could be you know uh whatever but that's why i was i mean part of why i was drawn to this film was because i feel like um the slasher genre is really dominated by american films mm-hmm. by american directors like obviously all the big franchises are american franchises yeah. and so i really liked this idea of this because this director was directly paying homage to American slasher films. And so I really liked this idea that like this was kind of his take on how a slasher film would would play out. And I th- I find it really interesting that he chose to situate his slasher in like an office. Mm-hmm. Like at that time kind of just like modern Japanese office and yeah. I hate to say it but it did remind me of the Belco experiment yeah, from last but like year, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like slasher style. And it's it, it kind of the fact that this Famous, who who became on to become a famous uh, horror director, Kurosawa. One of his first films was a slasher film, and mm-hmm. I would say, like calling this like a J horror film is like pff, not helpful at all. Like it's a slasher film, you know. So it kind of you know the fact that this film exists kind of refutes the J horror, right? The utilitarian use of the j-horror moniker so yeah. it is it is an interesting point so i just wanted to bring that up i kind of thought i i wanted to address that just because like i would rather talk about foreign films as they relate to different horror genre yeah. subgenre and not as they relate to like different countries it just made me you think know? like just now like would we ever have a japanese horror episode no there's too yeah. many great japanese horror films exactly. in so many different kind of and genres. i had the same i had the same idea where i originally wanted to do like women horror directors and i was like that's stupid like there's I a lot of great women horror directors and i want to just focus on their films i like, think there are like are. movements within countries like after the ring came after ring exactly. came out in yes. japan there was like the japanese supernatural craze there was the french extreme craze in the mid-2000s yeah. like i think that is like appropriate because it's like yeah it happened in this one and country and your point too about how for a while like japanese horror films were the scariest i think that's yeah. you know i think that's like a fair sh- like scary ass supernatural yeah. films yeah but like i'm um, so moving on to the actual film fujimaro who's the security guard i think is like a really fascinating mm-hmm. character he has a real lack of remorse and he has a striking physical stature and he has like no backstory except for that we know he's a sumo wrestler so all of that I hate to say it, but it, he was a real Michael Myers type mm. of slasher for me. Because mm. he would just, like, kill people and then be, like, like kind of look to the side and be like, what's done is done. Like, you know, he had that That's real kind of... a good homage, I mm-hmm. thought, yeah. I do wish that they had dug a little bit more into his sumer, sumo wrestler backstory, because he did seem to have, like, a supernatural uh, strength, but none of, like, the sumo aspect made it in, its way into the kills, which I thought would have been kind of fun. <laughs> it would have been um, unique, at least. That's for sure. I, and I looked it up because I the very little commentary I saw on this film online was just like he's not, he's a sumo wrestler but he's not fat so I <laughs> I looked it up and I was like I literally googled do sumo wrestlers have to be fat and so this is kind of what I found um so traditionally sumo wrestlers were known for their great girth and body mass which is often a winning factor in sumo because you just have to basically push people mm-hmm. outside of a ring 
So if you're fatter than the other person, like, I guess. And I mean, I'm grossly oversimplifying. Of course. The yeah, if you have know. more girth than another person, you're able to have yeah, more like weight behind your pushes. Yeah, but there's also like very specific like movements and stuff that they yeah. have to do. And I'm not trying to downplay that. No, it's but, a very intricate yeah. sport, of course. Yeah. Um, but I did found that uh, since no weight divisions are used in professional sumo and considering the range of body weights in sumo, an individual wrestler can sometimes face an opponent twice his own weight. However, with superior technique, smaller wrestlers can control and defeat much larger opponents. So, I mean, technically, this guy, you know, he was a sumo wrestler. He, you don't have to be fat to be a sumo wrestler. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's kind of an interesting choice. But again, I, that's my American viewing of this Japanese film. Maybe Japanese viewers are like, oh, yeah, not all sumo wrestlers are fat. Yeah, some of you them know. are super buff, as a yeah. matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> the kills in this film are not super interesting. They're a little... Like, I, if I recall, and it's actually, I know you watched it recently. It's mm-hmm. been about two or three years since I watched this film. And mm-hmm. I tried to, um, you know, I, I read up on the Wikipedia and stuff to try and like sort of jog my memory. But if I remember correctly, the kills aren't like super inventive in this film. Yeah, he's just like. Stab. There yeah, you go. Or like, Dead. Punch, I think he beat one guy up or strangled yeah, yeah, one yeah. guy. Um, yeah. But what I did find it kind of arresting about him was like, yeah, this lack of remorse. And he, he would just like stand there afterward and be like, it, one of the famous lines from the film is just, he just says like, you'll remember me and which is kind of like chilling but again the film didn't have him too much in it i wish more of the film had been like him killing people and less of the film had been uh the main character just like at her new job yeah (laughs) doing this job that we don't really know what's going on (laughs) i'm like this i think it's a drug front but i'm not sure um I did want to talk about um, Akiko because I think she's a really interesting final girl. As I was watching the film, my first impression of her was I was like, she's going to survive? I didn't really see anything about her that would necessarily mean that I think that she would kind of have like mental and physical wherewithal to like survive kind of the situation. Because at the end of the film, they're all kind of trapped in the office building and this guy's just like going around basically trying to kill them. But then I kind of on reflect, I was just like, is this just my like Western interpretation of like what a strong woman looks like and acts like? Because Mm -hmm. obviously there's a lot of different ways to survive a situation. And she honestly, what I kind of appreciate about her is she just runs away. Like she just keeps on running away from him, which to be honest with you is probably what I would do in that situation. It's reminiscent of some of the greatest final girls of all time, like Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example. I mean, sometimes your best option when you're faced with someone that is stronger than you, has better weapons than you, and wants to kill you, is just to run the fuck away. Yeah, we're not all Laurie Strode in Halloween 2018. Yeah, (laughs) Thanks a lot, Laurie. I wish I was. You made us all look bad. (laughs) Another reason I think it's worth checking out is because I think it does kind of have an interesting look at, like, the final girl and Mm. what the final girl can look like and what she can act like and, like, who she can be. And Because, again, this is also, like, a very beautiful feminine woman which is a pretty common final girl like trope it's like not only is she sexy she can kick ass (laughs) (laughs) but i I mean i kind of like her because she's like the traditional feminine japanese like beauty and everything like Mm -hmm. that but then like she kind of survives this horrible ordeal you know i think i really like to see how different cultures approach the slasher film and japan just doesn't have too many slasher films guard from the underground is one the only other one i can think of is um crap what's the name of that film it's called like the evil dead something point is is there just aren't too many of them i do think like the way they portray the killer Mm -hmm. as like someone who's kind of emotionless and like Mm -hmm. a force of nature and the way they portray the final girl as you said like a traditional feminine figure who's like you know is able to survive this ordeal and like kind of a 
you know, how you would imagine a realistic way when you're, if you were facing this situation, I do think it's like really interesting to see like this perspective on it, like how a Japanese director kind of deals with this, this genre. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really appreciate this film. It's certainly, I, I would have to give it a little bit more thought, but off the top of my head, I can't think of a better Japanese slasher out there. I couldn't literally find hardly any. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I picked this kind of just because it was available on streaming and because I, it was a slasher from a different, yeah. a non-American slasher, basically. While I was watching, I was like, do I like it? I was like, mm, I mean, there's some problems yeah. with it. it. It's kind of blurry. It's like not lit very well. And again, like the plot is very slow at the beginning. Um, but other things I like about it, I think the dialogue is really interesting and kind of snappy. Like, I, I feel like a lot of slashers don't have great dialogue. So this has... Yeah. And, and, and the <laughs> lack... safe to say. And the lack of dialogue between Fujimaru and the... Maru and the other uh, security guard, they kind of just sit there in silence for a lot of the time. And that's really creepy. Like, they really build up Fujimaru Maru before he starts killing. And that, I think, is another interesting aspect of it. Um yeah. And the fact that they're trapped in an office building, I think, is kind of always, like, an interesting yeah. setup. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, so I would definitely, I mean, I would suggest people check it out, but I wouldn't say I'm, like, it's yeah. such a good movie, you need to check it out, you know? I would definitely say, like, if you're a Kurosawa fan, which he's a very good, cerebral Japanese horror director, it's not, his films typically aren't, like, the popcorn, like, ring, juon films that are just, like, scare a minute and really fun his are like very thoughtful Mm -hmm. and i think uh this is kind of a thoughtful slasher so if you're a fan of his i would say this is definitely a recommended well and it's such an early film of his as well that i think it i think knowing it's an early film to me kind of bumps it up a little bit because you can see in this film kind of like what he's capable of and Mm. i think those things are really interesting one other thing i did want to talk about this film real quick is the way it looks like i think it's called v cinema like straight to video which is a little bit in America, when we get something straight to video, you know it's like going to be shit, essentially. Um, there's a little bit more, from what I understand, again, this is just reading secondhand, there's a little bit more of like a market for straight to video uh, in Japan. And actually, so the Juon that everybody has seen, which is called Juon the Grudge, um, and then it was remade to the Grudge in America, that is like was released in theaters. But there's actually straight to video Juon 1 and 2 that I've never seen them before, but apparently they're even, you know, they're the best iterations of this. But I say all of this is because all of these straight to video things are shot in like almost like they're shot on home video or something. They have a very strange feel to them. Yeah, they look, eh, it's not my thing. They don't look great, but I think (laughs) it really, I would love to see the original Juon, The Grudge. In well, that yeah, in yeah. that style, because I think it would work. I think it works really well for like a supernatural type thing. I would love to see it because you know we're both huge found footage people, and I think it's almost. I shot love like a, found footage. I think it's almost <laughs> like the way that these v-, v cinema films are like are almost like found footage. Like you're watching something you shouldn't mm-hmm. be watching. So I don't know. I, it doesn't help this movie at all. I think it makes things hard to see. If I remember correctly, it's but, not lit very well too, yeah. which is supposed to add to the creepiness of the office building. But it just means that you can't really see things very yeah. well. Yeah, I you know in general, I like the way that these types of things look. It just didn't work out too well for this film. I feel like so. Not to end on kind of a low note, but the Guard from Underground, <laughs> nineteen ninety two, directed by the slightly less famous Kurosawa. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say slightly. I would say significantly less famous, but still. But if you want to impress your friends and act cool, you could be like, oh, I checked out a Kurosawa film last night. No, not that Kurosawa. <laughs> Actually, I'm <laughs> you a, ignorant swine. I'm a big fan of you know the Dark Souls video games, and the director of those games is Miyazaki. So every time I'm talking about Miyazaki, people are like, the Spirited Away guy. I'm like, no, no, no. 
the more artistic Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was a dumb tangent. Oh, but God, uh, we are so cultured. Uh, I'm cultured. I'm intelligent. I am drinking craft beer right now. Uh, it's the just craftiest. Slasher, slasher, sans sequel. (laughs) Anyway, you're um, here first, folks. Well, I'm bursting to talk about some things that we have mm, watched since our last episode because it's been about two weeks, and Mm -hmm. I've been. I think Curtis and I are both in. We're making our 2018 list modes, and so we're both trying to catch 2018 films. Yeah. So I didn't know if maybe you wanted to start um, because I just talked about a film if maybe you wanted to start with a 2018 film or any other horror film sure sure i'll i'll just go through uh, uh, two really quickly i've seen a few films and but i think there are two that i wanted to talk about a little bit of note the first one was overlord mm. uh which is a film that was in theaters yeah that I, uh, how was that i enjoyed it so it's a film if you're not familiar it's kind of about basically nazi zombies i was like going into it thinking oh this will be fun and Let's. I, I do want to give a disclaimer real quick. This film is about like Nazi experimentation, which is a very serious topic. Mm-hmm. And I, I did have some reservations going into this film. I've seen reviews where they said, "Oh, this is like not sensitive at all." I actually thought it was quite sensitive. The topic it did show like the suffering of people that were um, subject to abuse, and which brings me to my point. I thought this movie was going to be like a jokey, fun type of thing. It was actually quite horrifying mm. and very like serious. Now there is the the villain in this movie is kind of like a comic book villain mm. type, and I think that's where the movie kind of slips a little because I think if you're going to be a serious film, be a serious film. If you're going to be a jokey film, be a jokey yeah. film. Yeah. And um, again, this this film is about like set like the day before D Day, and these people are flying down to destroy this tower that will help the invasion on D Day. And when they go to the area of the tower, they see all these horrible experiments going on. And, um, you know, I thought the movie was, it, it was kind of like part war movies, part war slash action movie, uh, part horror. Um, and I thought actually that the action parts were a little bit more effective. Like some of, some of the horror of war was quite scary, but that I wouldn't say that's like a horror, you know, I wouldn't say Private Saving Private Ryan is a war movie or is a uh, horror movie, for example, it even though it's quite scary. Sit through it. Yeah, it's quite, <laughs> well, it is quite scary at parts, but, um, you know, I thought it was an interesting film, um, and I thought it was, you know, I have movie pass, so it was worthwhile for me. Yeah. I had a great time watching it. I, I, again, the comic book villain kind of threw me off because I thought yeah, this is movie's tough. handling, like, a very serious subject very seriously, and, like, I'm, I'm sure Nazis were trying to do stuff like yeah. that to find a way to rejuvenate their soul. You know, it, it's like a cool idea. But then it kind of took it and kind I of a silly I kind of feel direction. like sometimes films that are based on cool ideas that aren't necessarily, like, from your culture or from your history or, like, stuff like that. Like, it's like, yeah, that might be a cool idea to you, but if you can't handle it in a sensitive way and you're, mm. and you're not coming from a place where you can speak, like, about those things from, like, your own experience in your own life, mm. I can see how you're like, eh, like, yeah, uh, it is was this a little, okay, you know? It was a fun film. There's yeah. no doubt about that. But um, it was produced by J.J. Abrams, who I would not expect to be able to deftly handle like this yeah. type of topic. He's he's an action director, you know. He's yeah. a spectacle director. So anyway, I won't talk more about this film. It's an interesting film. If it's still out in theaters when you're listening to this, it, you know, and you have Movie Pass, it's definitely worth it. Another film that I watched recently that I was bitterly disappointed by um, that I've heard so much about this year, and I was so excited to watch it was The Endless and. I know you watched it, Taylor. Um, oh, I, I, okay. No, no, My boyfriend I, has been mad because we're not having enough disagreements on the podcast. Are we about to have our first disagreement? Yeah, we are about to have our first. Well, <laughs> Yay! I, 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 I anticipate we'll have 
many disagreements on our top 10. Okay, po- tell uh, top me why 10, but... you didn't like The Endless. So and I'll refute every single The point. Endless, uh, if for people who don't know, is a film that um, kind of is a, ba- is a cult film. Cult films are huge this year, by the way. There's so Love many great cult, great cult films this year. Love a cult Did film. not think The Endless was a great film. It's about two brothers who recently escaped a cult. You know, they receive a video where they're talking about some crazy shit, like, we're going to go reach the ascension or something like that. And the younger brother's like, man, I hope they're okay. And I miss them. Can we please go back for a day? So the older brother agrees to go back for a day. And one day turns into two days. And Mm -hmm. two days turns into three days. And um, the beginning of the film, there's a quote from H.P. Lovecraft. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to get some strange H.P. Lovecraft stuff. But to me, the way the film played out, there was really, like, no payoff to that. Oh, my God. You, You're I, so wrong. I thought the first half of the film was really, really fun and really the good. The second half of the film is the better half of the film. I thought the first half of the film oh. was really, really good. You get to wor- meet all these different cult members. You're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what ignorance. is? But then once like you figure out what kind of is going on, I felt like the mystery was lost. Once you are kind of understanding what's going on, you're like, oh, this I can understand this. This is kind of dumb what what is wrong with these people like why are they you know why are they the po- okay i don't want to give it away because yeah. again it's a new film and i think people should check it out the answer to what you're asking is the point of the film i guess like what is wrong with these people why are why are they doing this thing is kind just, of the point of the film i just was enjoying the film more when there was more of the unknown and you're trying to figure out kind of what is going I on i couldn't disagree more honestly i think the payoff is really good with this film i think it I can't say, I'm trying to think of a way to say it without giving it away. I like the way things click into place as the movie progresses. Oh. I find that very satisfying. Again, I as I told you in the earlier episode, I hesitate to call this a horror film. Yeah. I don't think it'll make my top 10 just because I really don't I think it's horror. I find it scary. And I also, sure. I've seen on other 2018 lists people saying, again, Annihilation is a horror film. Also wouldn't yeah. say that's a heart. So if those yeah, two things were... Spoiler alert. I have loved Annihilation, but yeah. it's not going to be on my top 10 list. I, I think yeah. if those two films were horror films, they would be top 10 material for me. But The Endless too, I think everything about it I liked. Like, I liked the actors. I liked the cinematography. I liked the story. I, I mean, nothing about it, I would say, was particularly amazing. I mean, I think I gave it, like... Uh, 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I gave it a um, 6 but... point. I mean, I did enjoy it. I just wasn't satisfied at the end. You know, I gave it a 6.5, which like, to me is like something I would recommend to someone, recommend you watch it. But I was hearing, you know, one of the guys on Horror Movie Podcast gave it a 10 out of 10. Oh, well, yeah. Who, it's not and, a but 10 But they, <laughs> they, don't, they don't typically give 10 out of 10s. And I was like, right. oh, shit, I got to check this film out. And it just... You know, I understood everything. It all clicked into place for me. It just wasn't satisfying for me. Yeah. But, you know, I was just disappointed by the way the movie played out. But I would still recommend it. It's a really interesting... I've never seen a film like it before. And visually, it's beautiful, too. So, uh, you know. Well, while we're on the topic of things that people are calling horror films that might not be horror films, I want to talk about the film I watched that I'm most excited about called Cold Hell or mm-hmm. Die Hölle. It's German. <laughs> oh, it is? It's German. Die Hölle, Yeah. Uh, which is a 2017 film. Wikipedia says it's a thriller. So directed by Stefan Ruzowitzki. Hello. Oh, seems like. Uh, um, it stars Violetta Schlop. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, man. Are you sure this movie isn't Swedish or something? Schlor. One of those is probably a V because it's German mm. instead of a W. Oh, it's German. That's right. Okay. And then Tobias Moretti. Um, Moretti. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really should have practiced that before I got on mic, but I was like, this will be fine. I, you know, we can our, cut this. Our great, we can cut our great grandma was German, it'll come, but it did not. 
But I, oh, this one was so good. It's uh, this woman. She's like kind of a badass. She plays Muay Thai or she fights Muay Thai. Oh, and fuck I, yeah. And you're, I, I kind of, as a woman, sometimes tend to think that's a little cheesy. I'm like, oh, so you have to be like physically strong to like be a badass. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not physically God strong. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But so like this main character is like so interesting. Like she has a really interesting personality. Like I think that she's like really cool. But anyway, she witnesses a um a guy like killing a woman in a very brutal way and it's like really gross um in the apartment across the way from hers and she sees the guy and then he sees her and so he knows that she saw him and so the rest of the movie is kind of like a cat and mouse where like he's trying to kill her and then she like tries to kill him back i don't want to explain much more than that i think it's a really fast-paced like really fun movie at like at one point i was like is that going to happen? Oh my God, it happened. And then I was like cheering and Justin was like, what are you cheering for? I was like, I'm just so excited about this film. It was really fun. Like I, I feel like now that we have the podcast, I've been watching a lot of films just because I want to have stuff to talk about and I want to have stuff. But this is like one of those films where I was like, this was really fucking fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I really recommend it again. Not exactly a, a horror sh- film, Shutter but- exclusive, right? Correct. Okay, I mean, I, way, I think it's only on Shutter. By the way, everyone, I got a Shutter subscription. Oh yeah, we're gonna so be talking about Shutter all the time. Oh, now. it's so cool. Actually. We're not even sponsored, but Shutter sponsor us. Yeah, I know you're Shutter listening. Wants to sponsor us, like, listen, I'll still pay the four ninety nine a month, but yeah, please we'll, give us we'll money. just talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, it's a Shutter. I think it's only on Shutter. I don't. I think Shutter exclusive kind of connotes films that only are available on Shutter. I think you can probably get this one on DVD, but it's just on Shutter in terms of like streaming. where it's streaming. Yeah. Um, I know that with Shutter, Shutter you can do a seven day free trial. So if anyone wants to check mm-hmm. it out, honestly, of the things I've seen so far on Shutter, this would be like my number one priority if I were. It has a lot of things going for it that honestly, I think this might be top 10 for me. So I'll maybe discuss it in depth later. I mean, it's gotcha. a thriller, but I think parts of it are scary enough that it's horror for me. Mm-hmm. So any whoozle. Um, I, another film, what? Hoozle. Any hoozle. That's what the cool kids are saying. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I need to get with it. Um, I think you watched this film too, The Devil's Doorway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 2018 film, a Irish found footage film directed by, this is what I saw when I Googled it, I don't know if it's true, I, North Ireland's first female director for, of a, wow. of a uh, major release film. Wow. Okay. And her name is... And I, I think it might be like an Irish or Gaelic name, so I might pronounce it wrong, but it's Aislin Clark or Aislin Clark, A-I-S-L-I-N-N Clark. Just so, so you butchered all those Japanese her. names, but oh my God. you got to spell the Northern Irish. <laughs> well, one. I just, well, because I, the reason why I'm spelling it is because I really want people to like Google her and like find out oh, more okay. about her just because okay. I think. You I, actually did a pretty good job in the Japanese names, by the way. I was <laughs> well, just joking. I, yeah, I, the reason why, I'm sorry, because yeah, I did butcher all those other names too, but I really <laughs> want people to kind of Google her and find out more about her story because this film is really interesting. Um, it's a found footage film about these two priests who go to investigate a miracle at a um at a convent um of the virgin it's a virgin mary weeping tears of blood needless to say it's not spoilers yeah it's not what it seems Mm -hmm. and you kind of think oh like maybe like the horror aspect will be like about catholic mythology and stuff like that and we've discussed how much i love catholic Mm -hmm. mythology but it's not it's about kind of like the fucked up nature of the catholic church itself yeah what i really liked about this film is because is that i think it really confronts generational trauma that like the catholic church has had on families and especially women and especially of that like women who are anything like but completely perfect. Yeah. So, because at the convent, they take care of women who are 
unwed mothers and women who are mentally disabled, women who are women who criminals and yeah. stuff like that, and just like treat them like shit. Yeah, and it's called a a laundry, I think. Yeah, a Catholic I'm, laundry. Yeah, and those existed until the eighties, right? Like really 80s, late. 90s. And the the director, she had her first child out of wedlock in North Ireland when she was eighteen, and she's like. I could have been put in one of those. And so it, I I think in the film, it really, like, her personal connection to the story, I think, really shines through. And I, I really enjoyed this film. Well, that well. extra information that you told me made me like, because I watched this film as well, uh-huh. and I would definitely recommend it to people. That made me like it even more. My my biggest complaint about this film is I didn't like the found footage. I love found footage movies. We've talked about this a million yeah. times. I just didn't like the found footage aspect because I felt like, it was a little forced just because it was yeah. a found footage film from like the seventies. So he yeah. had like like who's really going around recording? I think it was like, like nineteen sixty two. Yeah, actually, like who's or going around recording like yeah. that in the sixties? And I just thought the shaky aspect of yeah. it. I would have liked to have a more traditional film, but um, you know, I've heard other people argue otherwise when it comes to this film that they really like the found footage aspect of it because I think found footage is really good for like discovery mm-hmm. like there's a lot of discovering happening in this movie yeah and i thought that was really cool like you get a perspective from the person behind the camera of this like stuff mm-hmm. that you're finding out about but it was a little but can you agree with me that there were some like legitimate scares in this oh film? this is a scary yeah this was scary Absolutely. i mean i hate to say that i'm gushing about all the films that i w- have watched since our last episode but again great film can't recommend it enough i think i watched it on um amazon yeah I, it was on amazon i believe for like a dollar, two dollars to rent, something like that. I think that. normally most of the films to rent on Amazon are three dollars. This one, so. I no, this one I remember was a little bit cheap. It oh, doesn't okay. matter. You know, two, three dollars. Yeah, but if people know. like don't have a lot of money like to rent and stuff like that, if you are going to rent a film, personally, I would, I would rent this one. Yeah, if personally among the films that we discussed, I would I would say go for go for the Devil's Doorway in terms of what you're going to spend some money on. So the last film I want to discuss, I feel, is a little um, controversial. This is the this is a rape revenge film mm-hmm. called Revenge. Mm-hmm. It's saying it's 2017, but I think it was released in 2018. Again, it was released so, in America in 2018 okay. for sure. It's uh, in both French and English, um, but I believe it was uh, directed by a French um, person, Coralie Fargi. Mm-hmm. I'm like I can't with these names. <laughs> I'm like really struggling. Um, and it stars uh, Matilda Lutz. And so, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the details for people who are like sensitive to this, this topic. Is, this but is it's, a big yeah. content warning. Yeah, it's film. a rape yeah. revenge film. Yeah. And I would say if you're sensitive to that at all, I just wouldn't watch it. Um, mm. because it very much is about like the brutalization of women and all this kind of thing. Um, I honestly don't. I still have not landed on how I feel about it because. I've been reading. Oh, me, me, I, you know, I watched this film six months ago, and I still haven't landed on how I feel about yeah. it. Yeah, it was very. I'm very. Intense. I'm very. Um, I would think if it weren't for the rape aspect, I would be like, "This is a dope film." Yeah. But I have to agree with a lot of people. I've read a lot of like opinions online and stuff. I have to agree with a lot of people. Like, when are we going to stop treating like women's trauma as our entertainment? Like, I, I, I hate to like would... drop that really deep nugget at the no, end of the episode, I know. but it's like I am obviously a male but i my one thought in my head the one thing i feel like i can contribute to this is that it was directed by a woman who yes. clearly had something to say about yeah. this 
topic. Yes. Yeah, know? I think it, she very specifically chose to do a rape revenge film, mm-hmm. but I just don't know how I feel about the genre as a whole. And, and I will, oh, it's it's yeah. odious for yeah. the most part. Yeah, I will say obviously you can't talk about this film like without talking about the rape aspect of it, but the kind of the scenes outside of that aspect, I will say, are really fast paced, really super gory, which was mm. kind of cool. Um, and I will say, like, the main male character who plays the, uh, who plays Matilda Lutz's, uh, bo- married boyfriend. Yeah. Um, he's a he's fucked a up dude. Shit. And, yeah, and he, but he's shit. very, like, interesting, I think, as a character. So, I'll say, I, I did like this film. Yeah. But I just don't know if I want to continue, like, watching and supporting films that are about it. You it's, know? A, it's a hard, it's, you know, who am I to say, you know, for whether or not this stuff should continue going on. I'll let you know, women and women directors worry about that. I just would say that the one thing that did upset me a little bit about this film was, you know, I think there were some kind of like magical realism moments in this film. And I didn't know, again, we're talking about a very serious type of situation. I thought Mm -hmm. like the kind of like goofy parts of this film were maybe a little bit insensitive. That would be my only thought. And that's why I've struggled so much with this film Mm -hmm. is, and you know, trying to just like figure out like, did I like this? Like, because yeah. this is technically super duper well done. Yes, and I liked a, well a lot of what film. I was watching, yeah, but well again, it's film. just kind of. I mean, I feel like quandary. there's a lot of things I could say about it, but kind of another one of just my main takeaways from it is I think it's very unrealistic, kind of the story that the protagonist goes through. And as a woman, you kind of think like, oh, do I have to literally be superwoman to like fucking survive? Mm-hmm. Like, do I have to like That's put up with take. all yeah. of this shit? And then on top of that, have like superhuman strength and superhuman like mental abilities to like survive a traumatic event. And to be honest with you, most people don't. And it's mm-hmm. like, so then I circle back to like, then why are men still fucking doing this? Like, you know what I mean? So it's That's just, an interesting take. I didn't think like, about it like that. Yeah, it's just like, it's just hard to watch because obviously with most films, you think to yourself like, what would I do in this situation? And like, how would I handle this? But with films like this, you kind of feel demoralized because I think to myself like, oh, I just wouldn't survive the situation, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. that's the only thing I'll say. I, I do think if you are okay with rape revenge or if you're interested in checking it out, I do think this is a good film mm-hmm. to watch. If you're kind of like, I don't know if I would like that. And that seems kind of like it would be traumatizing for me. Just don't watch it. And I I don't think it's so amazing that you have to like traumatize yourself to watch it. I do think it's from a very, you know, um, deliberately feminist perspective though. I, I know, you know, the, the director, I don't mean to like say anything bad about her or her intentions or anything like that. I just don't know if it like clicked exactly. But there's other, I mean, I think it's fine to say like, Hey, this particular topic, or this particular, like I know, for instance, a lot of people don't like to watch films where animals are harmed. A lot yeah. of people don't like to watch films about, like, I personally really don't like to watch films about, like, the end of the world because it triggers my anxiety. Like, <laughs> you know, I think I think it's fine to say, like, hey, this topic is just, like, really not okay for me to touch. I just won't yeah. watch it. So, yeah. so, yeah, that being said, um, Revenge 2017, another female director, which I love all mm. the female directors that I've been able to watch. Great female was, actress in yeah. that film, yes. too. Yeah. Um, available on Shudder. I think mm. this is a Shudder exclusive. Yeah, yeah, I think this is a Shudder exclusive. Oh, no, it, it, actually, I watched it um, previously before we had our Shudder account. I think you can get it on Amazon as well if you well, want to purchase it. Well, maybe you watched it. it with a Shudder free trial. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I just want to know that I have some kind of exclusivity. Yeah, with my uh, it shutter. was totally exclusive. I'm a shutter member now. <laughs> um, um, 
Well, I did want to say, kind of before we wrap, we have two more episodes um, in 2018. Our next episode is going to be Christmas horror. So um, horror Can't movies wait. about Christmas. Curtis and I are very excited. I don't know if you have. Cannot wait. I don't know if you have heard us say this before, but we love Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. So we won't be talking about Black Christmas. We're not correct. doing Black yeah. Christmas because we highly. About, so not the remake from the two thousands, yeah. the original nineteen seventy four Black. Love Black Christmas. Christmas. So I mean, I just love Christmas horror because mm-hmm. it's always campy. It's so yeah. fun. Um, and then our episode after that is our top ten horror films of two thousand eighteen, mm-hmm. and we definitely want you guys to check that out because. We're going to be discussing films since we started recording these the podcast in August. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of films from that came out before August that I really am excited to talk about. Yeah, yeah. me too. And, um, you know, I think before we go, I just want to make one final recommendation. Haunting uh, of Hill House, I've been watching. Mm-hmm. We've both been watching it on Netflix. We're not huge horror TV people. There, To be honest, there aren't too many horror TV. I love The Twilight Zone and Tales of the Crypt and things like that. But this is really the first I, – I've tried to watch so much horror t- – non-documentary. Obviously, I've pimped Eli Roth's new horror show, like mm-hmm. the documentary-type series I love. Um, Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I love that shit. Movie Moments is so fucking fun. I love that shit. <laughs> but um, Haunting of Hill House is like the first like fiction television show that I've uh, – fiction horror television show that I've watched in a long time uh, that maybe – Ever? I mean, I can't think of another. We're not American Horror Story fans no. on this podcast, folks. I love, I love True Detective. That's the, like horror adjacent, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Haunting of a Hill House is great. I just got done with episode five, oh. the Bentnet Lady episode. Um, to anybody who's watched it, knows that this is like just a fucking just will break you as yeah. a human being. It's it's yeah. it's a great for in those who haven't watched it, it's a great mixture of family drama and horror yeah. and like gothic style horror. I I'm just really loving this show and I'm hope we get uh this is the show's done by the director of uh Gerald's Game, Hush yes. and Abstentia. Um did you ever end up watching Absentia or Absentia? Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched okay. Absentia. I would highly yeah, I would recommend that food yeah, movie. But I, that director's name is Mike Flanagan. He's yeah. a, he's a one of the best, uh, uh, best like around. Yeah, I like to call him Flanny, uh, <laughs> Flanny boy. But anyway, just re- wanted to throw that out there. I recommend that. We don't really talk about TV shows that much, but you know, I'm, I'm watching this show and I'm thinking, you know, if this is a movie, this would be like easily in my top ten this year. I'm the, loving the episode this show. five specifically. Oh, episode five. Yeah, me, you I was like, like, this is basically a short film. Yeah, and I I'm not gonna. True. I'm I mean, not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna be cheap and throw it in there. I yeah. just, you know, maybe I'll give a shout out on that episode and be like, look, this movie, this you guys need to watch the. I mean. Well, if you're listening to it right now, I'm giving that recommendation right now, I suppose. But anyway. (laughs) So yeah, good episode. Uh, Yeah, we did. I think we did a great job. Yeah. I feel like very comfortable in this law. I know. I wish we could could record here all the time. We'll be here in spirit, perhaps. I I do miss um, the uh, sexy calendar that Justin has in his video game room where we normally record. Yeah, that's true. I usually get to look at the sexy calendar, too. It's wonderful. (laughs) But anyway, I think we're rambling at this point. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, Please follow us on Instagram, uh, Real Films, R-E-A-L Films. And then on Twitter, uh, Real Films. R-E-E-L. Films. Sorry, Um, folks. That's the only name I can get. You don't have to keep apologizing. It's uh, getting embarrassing at this point. Um, Please forgive me. (laughs) I cannot beg you enough. Please email us. Why haven't we have not gotten any emails, no voicemails, no emails. So you've been with Chanel for three years. I've been with Justin for three and a half years. I know I have friends listening that I've been friends with for eight years. I thought you guys loved me. No. Um, Clearly we were wrong. 
this is going to sound really pathetic if people are going back like a year from now to listen to this episode. Our literal father listens to this podcast. No, no email, email, dad. That's really weird, but okay. Doug, email us. <laughs> but if you do want to shoot us um, a line with questions, comments, uh, critiques, or any suggestions for future shows, mm-hmm. we are allrealfilms at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Again, we have two more episodes this year. Christmas horror and top 10 of 2018. It's going to be super fun. I'm really excited for both these. And I I just also, if you want to, if you ever want to email us a voicemail, we'd love to have that because we'd love to play. Again, our our whole thing is we want to reach, we want to like engage with the horror community. It's been super fun starting this podcast and talking to people. More people are like, Oh, you like horror films too? Let's mm-hmm. let's talk about it. That's the, been the most fun thing Definitely. for me. So, if you want to ever send us a voicemail that we can play um, during an episode sometime, we would love that. So, uh, it's just another way for us to engage with we people about horror films. We would love to know how much you guys love us. Yeah, please. So. And if you have any more comments on Jennifer's body, I've watched that film <laughs> since we've talked about. It, I've watched that film twice. <laughs> so, uh, more Jennifer's body content, the better. This will slowly morph into a jennifer's body podcast <laughs> we um, need to get it we need to get a megan fox poster or something <laughs> oh she's such an inspiration but thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you next time bye-bye <laughs>